Good evening, and thank you so much for being here tonight. If you were not with us this morning, I, I regret that. We had a wonderful time, and if you are one of the ones that read your Bible through in a year this past year, I have a certificate for you. And so what I'm going to do this evening is leave this folder right here on my pulpit. And so if you did not get one this morning, come up and grab one. No, they don't have your name. They have my name on it. And I signed it saying, congratulations from me. And so thank you for taking the time to read your Bible through in a year. And if you have not been doing it, my challenge to you is that this year, 2023, will be your year of reading the Bible through completely. And, I, and, and I've had people thank me for the challenge. I've had people curse me for the challenge. And so, so I hope that it will be a blessing for you. Take your Bibles this evening and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to read just one verse and then, and then pray and then we'll get into tonight's study. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and just the first verse. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. I entitled what's turning out to be a series probably four weeks, of an end-time survival guide. I have looked at the end times just a little bit differently the last year. I want to share with you what God's been doing in my heart. And uh, so, so for me, it has become a more practical study than, oh, that's cool. You know, that's, that's a neat thing to study. Instead of just that's something way out there, it's something I believe that today needs to be a part infused into our lives because I believe we're going to need it. And let's pray and ask God to meet with us now. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for your love and thank you for imparting to us these truths of Scripture. I'm so grateful that, that you are the one that's in charge. I'm grateful we can trust you. Now, Lord, the things we're going to be discussing tonight, some of them are going to infuriate the spirit world. Lord, the devils don't like to hear this because they're still convinced they're going to win. So, Lord, I pray that you might use this tonight to give us the reassurance to know that you're in charge. In the same breath as we see the events unfold, to realize that we can still trust you and that there are things that you expect of us no matter what happens. So, Lord, would you give us clarity of thought? Holy Spirit, would you please direct our thinking? Lord, may you be the one that guides my teaching now, for we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. This know also that in the last days, the word last days is the Greek word from where we get the word eschatology. Last days or last times, end times. Perilous times shall come. Scripturally, there is not one thing that has to happen before the rapture. Not one. The Lord Jesus can come at any time. Just like that. There you go. <laughs> he could come at any time. He could have come at any time. You see, Paul, the apostle, was looking to the Lord Jesus' return in his day. He could come at any time. There is nothing preventing him. Some of you know this, down on the, the, the intersection of uh, I-25 and 60, the intersection that, that I take to go home, there is coming a brand new Bucky's. Have you heard about the Bucky's that's coming in? And it's this, this mega gas station with 5,000 gas pumps, and that's an exaggeration, there's only 100 some <laughs> gas pumps there are. And, and I got to go to a Bucky's for the first time this past year, down south. <laughs> And I'm telling you, it's like going, what's it like? It's going, like going to an amusement park for a gas station. Uh, first of all, you've got all these in, it's gas pumps that just cover the whole acreage. And then you go inside to this mega store. And I don't know how else to describe it, but just this massive store. And uh, I didn't, we, I, I covered maybe a tenth of the store. And it's just huge. Well, they tell me, and correct me if I'm wrong. No, don't correct me, just sit there. Tell me that the one we're getting is going to be the world's largest, Bucky's. So we ain't seen nothing yet, folks. 
What's interesting to me is they've been working there for the last year. They've been messing things up. Some of you that know this, the interchange has all been under construction, has been totally rerouted and all that. They've totally redone that. Daily, they're working out there, and there are crews that are leveling the ground and all sorts of heavy equipment out there daily. So all sorts of things are going on, but you know what? There's no buckies yet. There's lots and lots of things going on, but there's no buckies yet. I'm told that Bucky's is not going to open until next year. We're going to see all this activity with no fruition for a whole year. There's nothing that has to happen before the Lord's return. That doesn't mean there can't be a lot of activity before that which is prophesied, the tribulation, is going to occur. And I believe the closer we get to the tribulation, the more activity we're going to see. Biblically prophesied activity that deals with the tribulation specifically, but the more closer you get to it, we're going to see shadows of that events. The world setting up for it. What's it mean last days here? Well, there's two aspects to the concept. First of all, the last days for Israel are those leading up to the Messiah establishing his kingdom. In Genesis chapter 49 and verse 1, it says, And Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. The ultimate fulfillment of that has not occurred yet. Christ will take his throne as king of kings in the last days. Isaiah 2, 2, And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow into it. When? In the last days. What are we talking about? The establishment of the kingdom of the Lord. Well, are we in that today? Some would say yes. If we're not today, we've got a pretty lousy kingdom. Because what I read about, when the Lord takes over, he's going to rule with a rod of iron. He's going to be in charge. He's going to tolerate these perversions that are going on now. And once a year, representatives from every nation is going to come to Jerusalem and worship him and pay him homage. That's not happening today. In that day, Jerusalem, the Jews, are going to be predominant over all of the nations. That certainly isn't today. So the last days for the Jews, Micah 4.1. But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountains of the or mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains. It shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow into it. When? It hadn't happened yet. The last days. It's coming a time where Jesus establishes his reign. That's what the Jews look forward to. Pentecost. A partial fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy occurred in the last days. Acts 2.17, And it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And we understand when the 120 in the upper room, the Holy Spirit came and settled upon them, and they began speaking in other tongues. Well, what was that a fulfillment of? Let me read it to you in Joel chapter 2 and verse 28. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. It was first accomplished at Pentecost, ultimately being accomplished during a later time. It was primarily a Jewish sign. It continues by describing the day of the Lord, or the tribulation, or Daniel's 70th week. Acts 2, 19 and 20. And I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. Interesting. Interesting. So, so this sign is going to occur as all these natural phenomenon that is described during the tribulation is going to occur. First of all, the last days define what's going to happen to Israel. 
Secondly, what's going to happen to the church? The last days for the church began at the cross and proceed through the church age, culminating with the rapture. Oh, I can't wait. I just can't wait. I can't wait to hear the trumpet. But the honest, simple truth is, we're going to be caught up so quickly, I'm not even sure that the sound waves will be uh, passed before we get there. We may not even hear it. It'll happen so fast. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to being in heaven. I'm looking forward to that great, notable day, the time that we are raptured to be of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, however, he says, was living in the last days. Hebrews 1.1, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in the time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days, he said, spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. You mean Paul was in the last days? Yeah. Yeah. In James chapter 5 and verse 3, the rich were also a picture of those leading up to the day of the Lord. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye, shall, ye, ye have heaped up treasure together for the last days. The short-term fulfillment of that happened in 70 A.D. As the rich in the apostles' day heaped up treasure with no concern of the coming judgment in 70 A.D., so people today live as if there's no coming judgment. They mock it. They mock it. There are some evidences that we live in the last of the last days. And here's where I begin to get excited. Again, this is a change in my understanding. Because for so long I've been taught that there are no signs that have to occur. Why bother looking? Why, why even bother looking? Because I know that, that when, when it's time, boom, I'm out of here. And then it's going to go into the tribulation. Woo. But it seems biblically that there's going to be activity that's taking place, preparing the world for this day of the Lord, much like what's happening out there on Highway 60 and 25 today. This know also that in the last days, perilous times. The word means difficult, grievous, dangerous. This know also the last days perilous times shall come. In Jude 1.18 it says, How that they told you there should be mockers in the last time, who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. It'll be a time where they mock the faith of Christianity. When I grew up, this could, I could not begin to grasp this. I couldn't begin to grasp someone mocking Christianity, honestly. The idea of somebody mocking those going to church, I, 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 beyond my imagination. Oh, you see it today. Have you noticed, and I've mentioned this recently, have you noticed that out there, hopefully not in here, out there, when somebody gets really angry, they call upon God frequently. You hear Jesus Christ said frequently out there. But it's not in a reverent manner. His name's used in vain. Carelessly. As if, as if there'll be no consequence. As if it didn't matter. As if he's not hearing me. Any, in fact, I'm not even sure there is a God. Why is it? Why is it that they say the name of Jesus? Why don't they swear and say something like, Buddha! Chemosh! I've never heard that. Mockers of your faith. Sadly, in 1 Timothy 4.1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, the last times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. I just, I just don't believe anymore. I just don't believe those things anymore. I never heard that before recently. 
I, I, just, I just can't believe those stories in the Old Testament. I just can't believe it. I just can't believe that God spoke the worlds in six days. I just can't believe it. I can't believe there's only one way to heaven. I just, I just God wouldn't do that. I just can't believe that. Many of you know the. Many of you prayed diligently. The young man that I spent months and months and months going to his house and sharing the gospel, and he finally got saved, trusted Christ sweetly. He sat over at a coffee shop and bowed his head after. After months of going through the gospel with him, he started coming to church. Became faithful in church. Got baptized right here. The whole family was here to watch. He started going out door knocking with me. He even had a visitor come to church, a man and his wife, because he was the one that knocked on the door and talked to him, invited him. Go figure. And the next week, Pastor, I just don't know if I believe it anymore. I just, I just don't know if I can believe anymore. I met with him until he told me, I just think we ought to stop meeting. Now, he can't stop me from praying. But the Bible says in the last times, the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. In Matthew 24 and verse 3, it describes shadows of the day of the Lord. Shadows looking forward to or seeing this activity. Jesus says, and, and, or, and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, Jesus, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? We, we want to know, when is this all going to come to an end? When are you going to take over and, and, and be what you said you are going to be? When is this all going to happen? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Let me, let me caution you right now. Be careful who you listen to. Be careful what preachers you listen to out there. Be careful. Uh, the preachers out there are a dime a dozen, and that might be too expensive for them. There's so much going on out there, and they're not all accurate. When, when it comes to prophetical teaching, they're, they're not all in our camp. And they don't all have pure motives either. That shouldn't surprise us, in the end times, men shall deceive us. For many shall come in my name, he says, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. Notice, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. There is much conflicting information regarding the frequency of earthquakes. That which comes from the National Earthquake Information Center in Golden has statistics showing that over the last 20 to 30 years there has been Listen to this. this. This blew my whole message. There's been no significant increase in the frequency of earthquakes. I thought there was supposed to be more. If anything, it says there shows a slight decrease. What is interesting, however, is in Matthew 24 and verse 8, it says, All these are the beginning of sorrows. The word sorrows here, literally translated, is birth pangs. This suggests that something about earthquakes will signal the soon birth of the day of the Lord or the tribulation. My daughter Katie, bless your heart, just this afternoon was welcomed into the church that they, they just joined today in South Carolina. And she was welcomed in with a shower. They showered her because she's delivering her baby in a few weeks. And, and so, so, they were so kind to her. Such a sweet time. <laughs> One of the things that Katie's a little nervous about is going into labor. 
as a first baby. All she knows what to expect are the horror stories that she's heard from her friends, each of whom has had a disastrous horror story. And she knows that she's going to go through a horrible time. But there's something about labor pains. And I remember watching the monitor when Nancy was uh, in the delivery room. And I'd say, oh, honey, it's going to be a big one now. As the contraction got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, she finally said, will you stop saying that? <laughs> but what's interesting about labor pains is they don't, they don't just do this, get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and then the baby pops out. No, they swell, and they come down. They swell, and they come down. They swell, and they come down. Notice the chart. This is the chart from 1900. This goes through, uh, through uh, 2000, and I charted it out since that time, and it continues the same pattern where instead of, in my perception, that earthquakes ought to just keep going like this, if we're in the end times, there's going to be many, many more. The frequency is going to get greater, 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 greater. But here he talks about the sorrows, the birth pangs. Or he's describing the coming day of the Lord, the preparation for it, as a woman in labor. To where there'll be contractions of earthquakes. There will be a lot of them, and then it will cease, and then a lot of them, and then it will cease. And though this does not compare exactly to a readout of the ladies' contractions, it does show the ups and downs. And to me, that was interesting. Do you mean, do you mean this world's about to give birth to the tribulation? That's what it sounds like to me. According to the Creation Science Institute, a look at a chart of the frequency of earthquakes over the last 100 years shows a clear pattern that reoccurs approximately every 30 years. Though not exact, the pattern resembles a chart of the contractions of a woman in labor. This world is regularly contracting with earthquakes in preparation for something much bigger, like a worldwide cataclysmic earthquake toward the end of the tribulation. That's prophesied. Revelation 16, 18. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as was not since, such was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. Next. In 2022, there were major wars reporting 10,000 or more combat-related deaths in Asia, Europe, with the Russian-Ukrainian war, and Africa. Wars with 10,000 or less combat-related deaths last year occurred in Colombia, Asia, Africa, and Mexico. What we see are wars and rumors of wars. Conflicts of less than 1,000 combat-related deaths last year continued in Asia, Africa, Ecuador, and Salvador. Then there are many skirmishes around with fewer than 100 combat-related deaths in places all around the globe. On the map, you see just the hot spots. The darker the color, the more intensity of the fighting. Interestingly enough, Henry Kissinger has stated that he believes that we are on the brink of war with two powers, Russia and China. He writes, we are at the edge of war with Russia and China on issues which we partly created. He told the Wall Street Journal in August of this year, this past year. This, uh, this passage in Matthew mentions pestilences. Baker, Encyclopedia of the, the Bible, defines a pestilence as a derivation of a Hebrew word referring to a contagious epidemic disease of devastating proportions. A what? A contagious epidemic disease of devastating proportions. Regardless of the circumstances behind a source, COVID showed us how quickly a pestilence could spread around the world. Whoa, pestilence? COVID? Yeah, a contagious epidemic disease. The number totally of deaths worldwide from COVID as of this past Friday, 
I'm told. 6,707,701. And Denver County alone, close to 1,500 deaths. Famines. According to the Red Cross, 146 million people are going hungry in Africa. Communities like Kenya, Nigeria, Ethiopia, Somalia are facing the worst food crisis seen in 40 years. I don't know. You see, God's timetable is so much different than ours. I don't know. And so I'm not going to stand up here this evening and say, I know for sure that Jesus is coming in the next 10, 15 days. I can't tell you that. But it appears like we are living in the last of the last days. It appears like we, are, we today in this generation are seeing things that no other generation has seen. So many of the prophecies in the book of Revelation, which we'll be looking at the next few weeks, so many of them an earlier generation could not have perceived. Before 2020, honestly, could you have conceived of a worldwide crisis like COVID and what it did? Could you imagine something knocking the wind out of our self-righteous country? Nobody tells us what to do. Immediately, yes, sir, we'll do what you want. Yes, sir, yes, sir. Something's changed. Something's different. There's something different going on in the world today. And I have a tendency to believe it's not a surprise to the Lord. And I believe we are seeing the activity of a work being done right now to set this, this world up for a one-world government. We're pretty close to it now. Couldn't have even imagined it before this current president. There have been other presidents that have been leaning that direction, but my land is blatant today. Uh, national sovereignty, that's being cursed today. Get global! So what's the council? The topic is an end-time survival guide. So what's God tell us to do? In these, in these times, with the end times coming, we know the day of the Lord's coming, we know it's going to come sometime. There's activity happening that looks very much like it's occurring now. It's being set up. Oh, Bucky's isn't open yet, but Bucky's is being prepared for. What are we to do in this time? We're not going to be in the tribulation. I don't have to worry about that. I don't need to prepare for tribulation. I met one fellow, and oh, I had a long debate with him, which I'm not going to do again. But he believed, he honestly believed that Christians were going to live through the tribulation and it was up to them to minister to the tribulation and their job now was to prepare for that time so they wouldn't buckle under the pressure and they were part of the evangelistic outreach during that time. Oh, I feel, I feel sorry for him because that ain't going to be the truth. We're not going to be here. We're not going to be here. We're going to be in heaven during that time. But we will be here during the preparation time, the time leading up to or the time described here as the time of sorrows or birth pangs. Counsel, first of all, 2 Timothy 3, 1, let's, if, you, if you're there, it was our, where I began, our text verse. Let me read you a few verses in 2 Timothy 3, 1. This know also, Paul writes, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, meaning no self-control, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors or betrayers, heady, or those that are rash, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Let me just stop there. Is there any way that we could describe the national climate 
in what we read here? Have you, have you watched the news lately? I'm not encouraging you to. I'm just saying, have you done that? Verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Oh, I'm a Christian. Well, I believe in God. But denying the power thereof. You know, the simple truth is I'm a deist. I mentioned this morning, I believe that the God, there is a God, and I believe that God created the world. But when God created the world, I believe he created it so that its systems could continue without his influence. And so he created, he spoke, worlds are going, now he's going to go way out there someplace and, and just exist while we go on our own. He's not going to involve himself. Denying the power thereof. Now, the first piece of counsel he gives is the rest of this verse. From such, turn away. From such, turn away. I looked it up. It means to avoid. Avoid them. Just avoid them. Just avoid them. Avoid spiritually dangerous people. Here's some confirmations to avoid dangerous people. First of all, in 2 John 1 verse 10, If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, the teaching, Oh, Pastor Aller, we don't want doctrine because doctrine divides. You understand that doctrine is truth. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you cut out doctrine, you're cutting out the essence of Jesus Christ. If it come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed, for he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. In Romans 16, 17, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good works and fair speeches, deceive the hearts of the simple. Oh, but they're so sweet. They're so kind. Oh, they're so nice. They're so giving. But they deny the truth. These are dividers and wolves, Paul calls them. In 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 6, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves, listen, from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he has received of us. Now you're getting a little close to home. These are other believers that are living in disobedience. Withdraw yourself from them. In 2 Thessalonians 3.14, And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. These are those disobedient to the preaching and teaching done to the church. 1 Timothy 6.5 Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such, withdraw thyself. Let me give you again that last phrase. Supposing that gain is godliness. Meaning if, if you're receiving lots and lots of blessings, you must be godly. If you're really rich, that means you must be really godly. Like some preachers you see on television or the internet that are preaching a prosperity gospel. If you live right, oh, God's going to reward you with blessings. And they're so true, but they might not be in this life. You see, the caveat is, as long as you send us $29.95, we will bless you. And go, oh, God's going to dump his blessings upon you. Prosperity gospel promoters, people who, when the truth finds out, are typically living sensual lives themselves. And here's a balancing truth. Because I got, to, I got troubled with this teaching because it says, okay, here are these people, the various sins, and they're were repeatedly being told 
primarily by Paul, to withdraw yourself. Pull away. Just get away from them. Don't spend time with them. Well, I've been telling you for quite some time now, you need to get out there and share the gospel and, 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 and meet with people and, and invest in people's lives. And so, quite frankly, I struggled with this concept. So let me give you a balancing truth. First of all, Jesus himself spent time with sinners. In Luke 15, 2, And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. How dare he? In John 4, 7, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me a drink to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. So here's just Jesus alone with this Samaritan woman. Oh, the scandal. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. What you didn't realize is Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. He came to share the good news with the world. And the good news was he came to provide the solution to man's sin problem. So Jesus spent time with sinners. I even found out that Paul gave his life trying to reach sinners. In Acts 14, 8, And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him, and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. So we see Jesus and Paul investing themselves into the lives of sinners. Both Jesus and Paul stood up against Christ-denying deceivers, however. Christ-denying deceivers. In Acts 13, 8, But Elimus, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who also was called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes upon him. <laughs> now this is no gentle, sweet, compassionate setting his eyes on. This is a furrowing of the brow. And said, of, Oh, full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? Doesn't sound like he's being real gracious to the man. If you ask me, it sounds right down rude. Compassionate? No way. To whom? To a Christ-denying deceiver. In Matthew 23, 27, Jesus said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Verse 33, Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? When Jesus gets a little worked up, look out! To reach the world, they had to be in the world, but not of the world. They saw anyone willing to hear the gospel. However, we see them clearly separating themselves from Christ-denying deceivers. Conclusion. When someone is unwilling to listen to God's word, mocks it, or refuses to be confronted with it, remove yourself from them. Don't debate them. Don't argue with them. Remove yourself from them. I think it was Pastor Vanderhart with me. I think so. He hadn't been here long. We were out door knocking. And I shared with you the story. I won't go into a long detail, but went to a, a man's house, and the garage door was open. He was working in his garage, and, and there was a man with him, and we went in, and obviously he said, I'm not interested, so we started to walk away. Well, the man who was with him was had a beer in his hand, and, he was obviously pretty lit up. And he walked out into the street. And in the street, he got up in my face and basically spent the as long, I have no idea how long, cursing Christ, cursing anything to do with religion, 
saying that it was his ministry in life to convince everybody that believed in God and Christ that they're liars and that there is no God. That was his mission. And he just went on and on. Finally, I told Pastor Van Hart, we just need to leave. I walked away. I had a pocket full of tracks. I would have given him a track. He was absolutely no prepared for that. What's the admonition? Withdraw yourself. Don't quarrel. Don't argue. Don't try to argue them into that, into it. We're supposed to reach the world. He said, there's going to be some people out there that are unwilling to listen. Don't waste your time on those unwilling to listen because God's going to lead you to somebody who will. And if you're so tied up with one person you're arguing every day with, how can you reach those that are willing to listen? Secondly, live godly. Number one was to avoid them. Number two is to live godly. 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. I hesitate at giving you this one because of the context. But it is in the passage, looking toward these end times, what do you do in preparation for the end times? When things start getting stirred up, when if there's evidence, when there begins to be dust stirred because the ground is already being prepared for the tribulation, the day of the Lord is coming, there's birth pangs, what do you do? Well, in the midst of that, all that will live godly. Here is interesting the way you put it. It's not saying, okay, you need to live godly. You know, he's assuming we're going to. He's assuming that you're going to be spiritual enough to live a godly life. As the end approaches, you better be living a godly life. There is no time to fool around with the world. But now understand, if you're serious about it, then you may suffer some persecution. There's a very popular belief rapidly spreading throughout Christianity that because of our liberty in Christ, we can now enjoy the sensual pleasures of the world because we're free in Him. Our sins are forgiven. So we're good. We can do what we want. We can be like the Epicureans. We can eat and drink and be merry. For tomorrow we die. The problem is that belief is completely contrary to the teachings of Scripture as it distorts the doctrine of sanctification. We are set apart for Christ. We are His. We're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. We are potentially, I'm sorry, we are positionally free and we have liberty in Christ. That liberty is freedom from Satan's bondage. How, how, however, however, that does not give you the right to do what you want. It gives you the right and the freedom and the liberty to do what He wants. Because previously you couldn't. You were in bondage before. You couldn't do what he wants because of your old master. But now you've got liberty to do what he wants. 1 Corinthians 8, 9, But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. Galatians 5, 13, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. But by love, serve one another. 1 Peter 2.16 As free, and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. In other words, not saying, I'm free in Christ, so I can do all the evil I want to do. No, because you're not yours. You no longer have that right because you don't own you. He does. He purchased you on the cross. Thirdly, the third counsel that we're given is found in the next verse, chapter 3, verse 14. Avoid, live godly. Verse 14, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Thirdly, continue. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't turn back. 
Don't quit your Bible reading. Don't quit. Oh, pastor, I missed a day. Oh, no, I missed a week. Oh, I got to catch. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. It's so hard to get back on track once you quit. Just don't quit. Don't quit praying. Don't quit church attendance. Don't quit. Oh, but somebody said something that hurt my feelings. Get used to it. That's life. And the devil desperately wants your feelings hurt. So he will very likely stir somebody to say something they're not even realizing just to hurt your feelings because he wants you so angry you don't come back to church. Don't quit passing out tracts. But I see no evidence. I see no use of it. Don't quit passing out tracts. We go through a lot of tracts around here. I brought this thing here tonight because I'm out of my thank you tracks. I love those thank you tracks, but I'm out of them. I was, uh, where was I? Someplace recently, and I know, it was the guy that was plowing the lot out here. Come back, and he was a felon, and it was the obvious that, that he didn't speak English very well. I keep some Spanish tracks in here. So I pulled out and said, hey, listen, thank you for plowing the lot. We'd love for you to come sometime. Don't quit passing out tracks. Don't quit sharing your faith. Just don't quit. Oh, but pastor, I've been doing that for years and I've just not seen any evidence of it. God does. God does. And the seeds you're planting, you have no idea when they're going to come up. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit ye like men, be strong. Ephesians 6, 13 and 14, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Hebrews eleven thirty two and following, and what, and what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David also, of Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed violent in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. They didn't quit. They didn't quit. No matter what the pressures, they didn't quit. And lastly, the last of four admonitions we see, counsel. How to survive in the end times. 4, chapter 3, verse, verse 15. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good works. Number 4. Know the Holy Scriptures. Know the Bible. Learn it. Learn the Bible. There's a fellow that, that I met door knocking. And though his Sundays are tied up, he cannot be here on a Sunday. I'm praying that God's going to change his schedule we can be here. But here a couple of months ago, I had the privilege of leading him to the Lord. And I asked him if it would be okay if I would start doing some discipling with him. So we've got a discipleship course. And so yesterday, well, I spent chapter number two with him. And so so incredibly refreshing because here's a guy that has no idea where the books are in the Bible, doesn't know the terms, doesn't know anything about it. All he knows is he loves Jesus. That's all he knows. And so I say, I want you, part of the exercise is for him to do all the looking up in the Bible. So it takes forever, because every time you've got to go back to the index, and I don't tell him where it is. And so until I give him some, some ideas, you know, I start going over over again, just in Matthew. Okay, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay, now Acts is right after these. And so he's starting to get, even after the second time, starting to get a hang for some of those Psalms. Here's the easy one, Psalms. Just a little bit to the right of center. You open it up, just a little bit to the right. There's Psalms. And so he's got that down pat. So every time, he doesn't have to go back to the index. 
Why am I spending my time with that? Because I know that until that young man has the knowledge of God found in the Scriptures, that he will continue to be, though saved, he will continue to be mired in the hooks of the world. He has to grow. And the way he's going to grow is with the truths of God's Word. Know the Holy, Spirit, the Holy Scriptures. And if you have been saved forever and have never gotten serious about it, it's not too late. It's not too late. In Psalm 119.11, David said, Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. In Psalms 119, verse 28, My soul melteth for heaviness. Strengthen thou me according unto thy word. In Psalms 119, verse 50, This is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. God's word is living. It's applicable. It's profitable. It's what you and I desperately need to know the scriptures to survive the end times. These are the admonitions that Paul gave in this one passage. I found it encouraging because there are several other passages that give us other helps during the end times. Let's bow for prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the fact that you knew that as the day approaches, we were going to need extra strength, extra counsel. And uh, Lord, those, these are not profound. They certainly are what we need tonight. So help us, I pray. Help us to get a grasp of the urgency of the time. Lord, the honest, simple truth is we don't know when you're coming back. We don't know. It, it, it could be immediately, and from your timetable, it could stretch out for some time to go. Lord, help us not be foolish and act like there's no activity preceding it. Help us to realize that we should be smart enough to see evidences of your soon return and to live accordingly. And Lord, help us as we apply these truths by giving us a love for those that are lost. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. The Holy Spirit of God, I believe, wants to do a work in each of our hearts tonight. Because he's not surprised that we're the generation in these times. He's not surprised. He's not surprised that for centuries now, men have been looking at these scriptures and scratching their heads, trying to make sense of them that we can understand and can see how it could all come to pass. The Lord, to whom much is given, much is required. Help us to take this admonition and help us, I pray, to give you our lives unreservedly as we go through the end times before your return. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.